And we're live with our 232nd episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on X and Mastodon, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on also both of those platforms. <laughs> Seth, say hi. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome back to another episode. We're really excited to be back. As usual, there's a lot to talk about. Um, feels like things... Yeah, there's just a lot of movement lately in the security space. So always happy to talk about those sorts of things. Uh, we do have uh, guests and other things that are coming up. Um, by way of announcements, uh, keep an eye out on our social media channels for CactusCon um, Happy Hour. If you're going to be in CactusCon or you're in the Phoenix area uh, in a couple of weeks, February you know, what, 16th or 17th is CactusCon. We will be doing an Absolute AppSec happy hour that is going to be sponsored by um, Redpoint, Dry Run, and I think in part security, if I remember right. Correct, Ken? Yep. We're actually meeting today yeah. about it, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So, so we'll get that worked out. We'll get the details locked in. We'll post about it, um, put a sign up sheet or whatever together, uh, but would love to see everyone at CactusCon. Even if you don't come to the uh, the happy hour, we'd just love to see listeners um, interact as usual. Outside of that, we have a couple training offerings that are up and coming. The first opportunity will be at KernelCon in April, um, April 2nd and 3rd. Let me post the link here. Um, this is a great place to actually go at, whoops, um, I probably don't want to post our YouTube link. So that's for the this uh, was the wrong one I copied in there. KernelCon training, uh, practical secure code review. If you have not had it, this will be the first real dig in that we do on the AI and introduction to AI using AI within a code review pipeline. Um, some of the stuff that uh, I've been doing uh, as a consultant and Ken's been doing a dry run, introducing some of those techniques to help speed up your code review process. Uh, the other opportunity is for anyone that is in Par uh, Europe. So specifically Paris, um, we'll be doing DEF CON trainings in Paris, practical secure code review. Um, this will be in April as well, later in April. Um, but those are starting to sell out. So if you are interested, please jump in. If you've got any questions about them, hit up Ken or I in Slack. Um, and we will, yeah, answer any questions that you have. Uh, the Paris training is longer. It will be four days. So this will be a more extended, more in-depth look at secure code review and using AI in this process and what else, what other things that we can um, utilize there. Um, yeah, I, I think that's everything from an announcement perspective. Ken, you have anything else that you want to add to that? Uh, Loco Moco Sex announced they're going to be on. Um, they're officially Wait, on. Wait, what's that? <laughs> this, uh, I can't make that joke anymore because you like went last time. So. I went. Yeah. And this time we're back in Kauai. Kauai, yes. Which is the good location that all of us loved. Thank you, Loco Moco Sex, for choosing that spot. Uh, in any case, um, yeah, it's back on. Uh, very excited. One track, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, like Seth isn't, uh, there's a single <laughs> track for the docs, <laughs> and, uh, which is nice because they're highly like, uh, I never remember this word and I don't know why. Um, 
they're cultivated, you know, um, curated, curated. Thank you. They're, they're highly curated talks. Uh, and so you're talking about high quality content. You don't have to switch between different tracks. Obviously location's awesome. Can't beat it. Um, generally would say it's really good if you are product security focused, if you are, offensive security purely focused maybe not necessarily as uh you know anyways uh in any case i would say if you're a defender if you're a product security person it's a great conference so um yeah all around good times excited for that but that's yep. it that's all i really have you know okay well um before we get into articles i did want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Redpoint Security. Uh, Redpoint specializes in code security for coders, bolstered by years of experience testing applications and conducting code reviews against all types of applications, including web, mobile, AI, and Web3 apps. Redpoint also specializes in training to help ground your team in better security practices across the development lifecycle. So check out redpointsecurity.com for more information and put your company on a path to better security. Um, as many of you know, um, I do help run Redpoint Security. So if you are interested, it is definitely Q1 from our perspective. So if you need some help with testing or whatever else, we have a, a, a few more cycles than we usually do in some of the more busier, uh, some of the busier times of the year. So, um, and then, I mean, you know, can we need like a little script for dry run as well now that you guys are in beta and stuff, right? Like for signups and everything. Or should I ask yeah, James I for that, right? Yeah, you probably he's the the more uh I'm so bad at the business like not I don't want to say oh I shouldn't say that but um I'm not You're as not uh good at um <laughs> like the sales and the marketing and and all of that. But I do enjoy what I'm building and what we're mm -hmm. putting out there for folks, which is, you know, surfacing risk in PRs. Our goal is to only surface a couple a day, you know, only only let you know what things you really need to look at using a multitude of factors that we call yep. contextual security analysis. Yep. So and it, I, if you yeah, want to check it out, check it out. Yeah. Um, check it out. Dot dry run dot security. You can go mm -hmm. right. Uh, yeah. So it's app dot dry run dot security. Um, within the next few days, something I've been working on that's pretty sweet is being released to anybody inside the product. So yeah, if you want to try it, sign up. But uh yeah, in any case, um, thanks for bringing that up because I always forget to like say anything about it. So <laughs> again, going back to me not being the greatest of, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, but not, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's hard that's to promote yourself, right? <laughs> it yeah, is hard. It, Actually, that's something I struggle is. with all the time because I don't, you know, like I don't want to, um, I don't know. You know, I just struggle with it because it just feels weird sometimes, but uh, I yeah. need to get over it. Well, and I mean, yeah. part of it is, right, like trying to have the the podcast as a as a platform that's not necessarily right. vendor. Like vendor focused. Yeah, that's very, yeah, that's vendor focused. It's, it's a vendor neutral thing. Like we talk about a lot of products. We have a lot of people on that are, you know, competitors even with what you're doing yeah. at Dryer and what I'm doing at Redpoint. Um, the idea here is not that we are like, you know, those are the only resources that are out there. It's not, it's not about what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. This is more about us talking about security things that we're super interested in. Um, and, you know, you know what yeah. though, I feel like with the competitor thing, like there's so much, there's so much 
budget out there. There's there's so many there's so many, there's so many organizations with with a need for um, tooling or for services. So it, you know, like yeah, there's competition, but I, you know, I don't feel like it's as a uh, maybe I'll eat my words one day, but I don't feel like it's as a uh, cutthroat there, maybe as uh, yeah other industries. There's no need to be, you know, really. As no, well as there's like, not. Yeah. There, there's space for everyone, um, for sure, right? Like, especially with the new AI, you know, hype cycle, whatever you want to call it, or with the new tooling that's available to us. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to actually dig into. Um, but actually, that that does feed pretty well into the first article that we wanted to talk about. And this was actually oh, yeah, the last right. article that we found. But um yeah, we started having a, an internal discussion between the two of us on this. Um, and so I'm just going to post it because uh, it does feed into quite a few things that that go into being a, a security professional, right? Um, and I know you and I both have feelings on this, right? Um, but in general, and maybe what I'll do is actually I'll share that tab here. Right. Um, name of the article. Yeah. It's a medium blog post by someone who's been in security, who, who's bounced back and forth. It's called I'm not a pen tester and you might not want to be one either. Um, it, he, it goes into his experience of bouncing back and forth between being a system administrator, like a Linux system admin or, you know, Azure or whatever it is that he does on a daily basis and actually um, becoming a security consultant, at least for a little while, and his experience and what that actually translated to, right? Um, you know, currently he's not, he works as a, you know, he works in IT, but he's done things, right? Like saw the job market, you know, 3 million cybersecurity jobs out there. A lot of them haven't been filled. Um, and then, you know, talking about what entry-level job is, at one point he took a small pay cut to actually go be a consultant. Um, but um, his experience was that it's not for everyone, right? And it's basically what it boils down to, that when you have experience, it's a lot easier to go and find other jobs, jumping in as a general, like, entry-level person into cybersecurity may not necessarily be what you think it is. Now, this goes back to um, my spicy take. Uh, you know, I'm not sure it was a couple months ago and we were talking about training and conference training and what actually brings people in to do conference trainings. Um, there's been discussions on the, on the Slack channel about this as well. Um, but his point in here is that doing like learning what you learn in like the OSCP at hack the box at all these other places is not necessarily what you would do on a daily basis as a pen tester. Right. Um, yeah. And that like, and, and I think that's a better a more succinct way of putting it than, you know, my like rant against all conference trainings. Right. Um, but this idea that, Hey, learning to exploit things using Metasploit, it, you know, and drop shells and do reverse hacking and all of that is not really true to life when it comes to being a consultant or even working with a team and trying to identify vulnerabilities. It's just not. 
Right. Um, and, and that was my initial take on it. Uh, Ken, you know, what were your thoughts? Um, so high level summary takeaway for me was that this was sort of meant to say, Hey, like if you're going to go into this, uh, industry or this field, you know, these are, these are the realities that you should prepare for, you know, like you said, the way you exploit things, how far you can go in a lab doesn't translate to real consultant life. That's the first one. Um, secondly, that you may be disheartened by the limitations placed upon you, not just in how far you can go and what tool set you can use, but you know, your time limitations, et cetera. The third thing was a lot about money, right? A lot about a lot of this yeah. was focused on the financial aspect, how much money you'll make. This person's experiences, they took time or they um, departed from, I guess their sysadmin role to you know, move over to security and they found that they made less money, which is actually pretty natural if you're very experienced in one industry and then you move to a, an industry in which you're less, you're not as experienced. I mean, that's, that doesn't surprise me that aspect at all. Um, do you want to note though, that their, their experience in security seems to have stemmed from around 2018. So you're talking about roughly five years of experience. So while I, you know, I'm not saying that that's, um, I don't feel like you're junior, obviously, at five years, but um, it doesn't give you a lot of time to try out a bunch of different uh, places to, to 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 work at, unless you're one of those people who leaves a job every six months or something, which is, you know, probably not the case here. How many consultancies are we talking about? I do find it interesting because I'm not as, I, I mean, this thing touches on it, right? Like, basically, one of the assertions made is that unless you have the kind of experience that say you or I have, Seth, you're not making, um, financially, you're not making a, a, a ton. Um, the job market's less hot for you. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, there was another thing they said that was a little surprising. If it comes to me, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. But in any case, I think it was illuminating. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I think it had to do with the bug bounty, like the web app bug bounty stuff that you could make like five times as right. much money just doing bug bounties. Um, yeah, that was the other weird part um, yeah. to hear. So it's nice to get someone's, I, I'll say this, it's nice to get someone's perspective from, um, you know, maybe who doesn't, yeah, who's got like five years experience in security, you know, obviously a lot more in sysadmin stuff and all that, but and security doesn't seem like uh, the longest time to to, to be in it. So I, I try to take everything with a grain of salt if you haven't tried a bunch of different consultancies. But having said that, what I will say is that, I mean, a lot of the, the experiences that this person had, um, I share, right? I mean, I've had those same experiences. I've, I've been all over the place in security, I like to think. So have you. Um, so I've had the good the not so good the yeah. terrible the amazing i would consider my first few yeah. years at github just absolutely incredible probably the best time i've ever had um you know so it's a range of uh range of experiences that you're, you'll face but it's nice to hear from someone and yeah it's not us <laughs> yeah well and i mean it's yeah I, I taking taking out the whole like money aspect of right like hey this is right like you know 
yeah, you can definitely make more if you're more experienced as an IT person than you can as a junior security person, right? Um, and, you know, specializing in a couple of things is actually going to pay better than others. But taking that out, um, the the real world day-to-day -day of being a consultant is a lot different or being a product security person or, or embedded in a company is a lot different than what's represented at um, most at, at most security conferences, right? Um, I and, and like we have a tendency to gloss over this as an industry, but a lot of the research projects that people present, especially at the you know at the big conferences, whether it be Black Hat or DefCon or other places, the research and the exploit that they are actually you know actually showing and demoing in those talks is months and months of banging your head against a wall, right? Um, and what they've done is they've proved to whoever supports them, right? Whether that is, you know, um, Albino Wax with Port Swigger, right? They pay him to be a researcher and to go and do this because they get signups and money for supporting him because they, you know, they drop in and, you know, are able to actually sell Burp Suite, right? Um, he is a, paid, is a paid researcher and expecting to have that level of experience or have that much time to actually dig into a product, um, an infrastructure as a consultant is just never realistic. And I mean, I, I know I talk about this all the time, right? Like even in the course, is the amount of time that I have to do a code review is usually very, very limited as a, as a third party. Um, because most organizations are not looking for six months of research to find some very nuanced vulnerability that I can, you know, uh, they just don't want to pay a salary for that long for the payoff that is there because it, it probably doesn't exist for them. Like, you know, they're spending, you know, at that point they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars for to protect an asset that's probably only worth you know fifty thousand dollars or whatever it is the trade-off just isn't there which makes sense right uh, most companies are not going to do that they're not in the in the market to make or to to sell their product to the security industry so they don't need to dump money into research in order to to maintain that cutting edge right um as opposed to, right, like if, you know, if they're in the medical space and they're doing research and, you know, building products that help like their medical, you know, mission, whatever it is, they'll probably put more into that research. And so you've got to take it with a grain of salt when you go to these conferences. What's being presented, the CTFs, right? Like even the stuff like the, you know, Port Swigger Academy stuff is great, right? Like, um, or Burp Suite Academy, I should say. It's great, but they are very specific, very nuanced vulnerabilities. Um, and 99% of what I see from a consulting perspective has nothing to do with what Portswigger and Abino Wax found or James found. And they built like these modules in the Burp Suite Academy. They just, it just doesn't. Right. Um, and so I'd like, I'm with you with it. It's, it's, it's nice to see someone else talking about that. Um, it makes me feel less of, okay, it's not just me that fills these sorts of things. Right. Yeah, and I know I mean, I'm going off, Ken. Sorry. No, no, I think, think. Well, no, I look back at you know a lot of the consulting. I mean, the first consulting job I had um, at, at for the I always get these mixed up for the private sector 
um, was with you at Fishnet. And mm-hmm. the first thing that I was told when we went in there was like, you know, we've was by Aaron Schultz actually, who now is over at NetSpy and you, you and I know. Um, but uh, anyways, Aaron sat us down and said, you know, we've tried to get some of these Uber hacker elite folks in there and, um, you know, they have terrible people skills. They um, have a hard time with the limitations pressed upon them with timing and scoping and everything. Um, we want really smart people that can also behave, right? That can, that can, yep. in other words, if there's a bit of a trade-off between the product, which is the human being, being slightly more skilled or being very skilled, but also being able to work well on a team with clients, fall within the parameters of what they need. That's what we're going for. Um, that's what works as a formula. This article sort of reinforces some of the, that notion. It's like, yeah, you're you're going to have some, you're going to have to operate with, it's a job. You're going to have to operate within some parameters. That's just the reality of it. And I understand that if most of your experience came from CTFs, from labs and all that, that's going to be pretty jarring if that's your expectation. Um, it was a little jarring for me even. I mean, honestly, when they gave it, I was like, well, I came here to like, you know, hack on stuff. Um, and we got to, but, you know, maybe not to the the level of where we would always want to go with it um, scope wise. And so, so anyways, I, I get it. I totally get it. Um, there's another yeah. point to all this that I, I wrote. Actually, it's funny because Charles is saying the same thing in Slack. And, you know, yeah. before this episode, I wrote the same thing to you privately. I was like, you know, okay. I need to preface everything I'm going to say with, um, like, if everything falls down on, like, if everything in my life goes wrong, right, I will still, like, in the sense of, you know, I've got this business, right? Um, If that doesn't work out, I do have the skills and experience to rebuild. So I'm going to caveat everything I say with that. But here's my, my experience on this. I never got into security because I wanted to make money. In fact, I didn't even think this was a job. I did this as like, I didn't even know this was a job. There was a job uh, in this industry. I've said this publicly many times. I did it in my off time. I did it while I was in the Navy. I did it after the Navy. And I did it always in my off hours. I was always curious curious about hacking. You know, I watched The Saint with Val Kimmer when I was a little kid. That was the first time I was, I saw him like pick locks and do cool shit. And I, that was the first time I ever really like, was like, I want to break into stuff. And that never went away. And Never knew there could be a job. And I was offered a position to leave my wife, drive at the time, uh, fiance, drive out here to the East Coast, uh, start fresh. I had like four or 500 bucks to my name. I drove across the country in my, my truck. I slept in it. Uh, I showed up with nothing in my pocket, literally, and just like, you know, got right into the field. Um I didn't do that because I was coming here for money because the money wasn't great. It was okay. It was better than what I was making in Nevada, but Nevada's cost of living to here, you know, it's all relative, right? Yeah. So I'm saying this because I followed my heart. And if I've ever done anything right in my career, it's following my heart. Even with this new company, right? What's funny is I make next to nothing as a founder. My salary sucks. I pay for my own, like a big chunk of my own salary out of my own savings. And I'm not saying to be like, whoa, it's me, but I need to be realistic. Yes, there's a chance I get rich, right? That's cool. That's great. Why am I doing it? It's not because of that. Because most of the time they consider like, 
investing in a company as like a lottery ticket. The the likelihood this pans out for anybody is very, very, very low. It's more likely that I'll end up a mid 40s guy with no money left in his savings account and a failed business than it is any level of success. I hope that's not the case, but that is the reality. And yes, as I said in the beginning, I can certainly rebuild, but I have to rebuild as a mid 40 year old guy with the family and obligations. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because when I get when I get somebody who comes into me and they're like, I want to get into security, the first thing that often I hear is, but how much does it pay? That's the first question. Yep. It turns me off and I get it. I get with the global economy, there are, there's a need to, to make money. Um, we all deserve to, to have a level of comfort um, if we're willing to work for it. I get all that. But like, if you're doing this for that reason, please don't join this industry. For the love of God, stay away. You don't belong here. I mean, I don't think it'd be good for you. I don't think it'd be good for your mental health because you have to put up with some stuff. And if you're not going to get through it, I don't think, and you're not going to be good for anybody if if you don't really love this this field. So that's my passionate plea. Like if you're getting in this just purely for the money, just please don't find another field. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it it's usually pretty obvious too, right? Like um, whether or not it's just a job or it's, you know, it's a passion. Right. Um, and Hey, you know, I'll like, I, what I've got up on the screen here, right. Like, you know, the expectations, right. As a pen tester working 60 to 70 hours a week. Um, it doesn't sound like he went to one of the firms that was like great at the work-life balance. Right. And we've both been there, right. Like we've been at organizations where it was, it was great. And then we've been at organizations where they had very little, um, uh, they just didn't have any boundaries. Right. Um, and so like some of that is yes. Right. Like some of that is mandated and, you know, not necessarily mandated, but expected from different organizations. Some of that is just like, Hey, we're passionate about this. I'm actually going to go take the time to figure this out um, because it's something that's interested to me. Um, you know, Charles did post something in there as in, in chat as well. That's really good about like, um, right. Like the whole concept of hacking is to explore the boundaries and create something new and possibly amazing. Right. Like it's, it's the, the idea of, Hey, I've found something that I'm passionate about that can also like, you know, pay my, my wage. Right. Um, and that's, that's a great thing. Um, but Ken, to your point, that's out. You're absolutely right. It's very difficult to, yeah, just just be aware that that's that's what it's going to be. If it's not your passion, you're probably going to move on, um, and that's where you will see these people drop back out, right? Um, you'll see them pick back up a different course, um, right? Whether it is like, hey, they go back to being a programmer, they go back to IT, they go to some other space because, quote unquote, that's where the money is, right? Um, and for a number of years, cybersecurity has been the, oh, this is this pays so great. Go get your OSCP and then find that job, right? Um, but it did. It doesn't always translate because of what you're saying. Right? Like the, the passion is what will actually drive you and will be able to get you over that hump to get you that experience. Yeah, dude. I mean, um, it's it's a hard road. I still get emotional when I can't figure something out and you know, you're just stuck on a problem and you're just like, damn, like, I mean, it's still very like close to, to my heart. So 
Yeah, to be like, and not, and not to say that this article is all about the money, but there's a lot of talk of money and it's just, it needs to be said, like, you need to love this stuff. If you don't love mm-hmm. it, I'm not talking about a passion as in like, you know, you hear people say like, oh, these companies, they're hiring only passionate people because they really mean they want you to work 70 hours a week. Obviously, that's not what we're saying here. We're saying if you love it, you'll stick through the hard times. You'll find some great times after the hard times, but like, it's not going to be a, an easy, it's not going to be an easy ride and have no illusion about that whatsoever. Yep. Yep. It, yeah. That's difficult, right? Like, and, you know, from an anxiety perspective and from a, I, I mean, we've talked about imposter syndrome in the past as well, right? Like, you know, the, you know, the requirement to stay relevant, um, to constantly study, to constantly like stay up with the latest technology, the latest security tooling, the latest CVE, the latest exploits, and then be able to use that or speak to it is not easy, right? Um, and then you add into that, right? Like if you're trying to run your own, you know, you're trying to, I, like even being a, uh, a bug bounty person, right? Like um, the level of pressure when new uh, new endpoints drop, Dude. new apps drop, um, right? Like I can't imagine that. I can't imagine yeah. that. I mean, because you and I both did that for a bit with uh, a white glove version of yeah. uh, bug bounty stuff, and we both were like, "Dude, I I can't. I less like I focus on even if I focus on this hundred percent. Just there's might be times where I gotta like go out and do something for an hour, run an errand or something, and you come back and it's like, boom, people are already submitting results, and now you're the dupe and you're not making the money, and it's like mm-hmm. the level of of, and I'm sure that they've got their systems for like knowing, you know. Um, I don't know. I'm sure I'm sure there's like things like uh, you kind of know with this company when they're going to like release stuff or maybe you're on a private bounty slack with them or something. And so maybe you you have that rapport where they kind of let you know or maybe you even get advanced um, insight into that thing. But, but man, still like you are like the second that new thing drops on the hook to go immediately assess it. And, and yeah, it's be yeah. quick about what you find, too. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I, I mean, I, I mean, I think that's where, like, when we see some of these reports, the exploit itself or the vulnerability may definitely exist. But I've been on the flip side, and I know you have as well, where people submit things so quickly that they don't really think through the impact, that they don't really think through the recommendation, because it's all about, you know, being first so that you're the one that can actually get the payout, right? Like that's what we're encouraging is how quickly can you identify a vulnerability? Um, And now, you know, the bug bounty platforms have done some things with private, you know, private bounties or, you know, private programs or invitations or events to actually eliminate some of that, right? Um, To make it more like, you know, the general you know, pen testing that we see where people are actually trying to put a, you know, a good spin on things. And it's not that the bug bounty guys can't do that, but a lot of it is, uh, you know, the pressure that goes along with that. But I mean, that pressure is everywhere, right. Um, In the security space to perform, to be the best, you know, and, you know, like a lot of it is running your head up, you know, banging your head against a wall, trying to figure out, uh, some vulnerability, something that feels like it should be a vulnerability, but ends up not being one, right? I still have that on a day, daily basis. Um, 
And it might be that my understanding, yeah, it doesn't. The understanding of that framework maybe isn't as much as, you know, some senior dev that put it together. And so there's some nuanced like way that it's being used that prevents your exploit from actually working. So the vulnerability doesn't exist, even though the pattern looks like it could, or the pattern looks bad. Or there's some um, stupid reverse proxy in the way messing with your control characters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that happens all the time, right? Like, you know, and that doesn't mean that we can't like look at the code and say, yes, okay. So if that control's not in place, maybe this is exploitable. Um, and so the risk drops um, and, you know, maybe it's just a recommendation rather than like a full vulnerability. That's fine. But again, the pressure is always there. Um, and then, you know, from our, from our perspective now as well, right? Like trying to run a business, you've got added pressure of like the business stuff on top of that um, and trying to, you know, maintain this fine line. It's not all doom and gloom, right? By any stretch. And like, we're still here because we're passionate about it, right? And because it does provide really good things. Um, and, you know, you can make a living at it. But I don't think yeah. I would have stuck around if it was only about the money, right? God um, no, dude. I've made I've I've taken so many lat like not lateral. I've taken um, step back salary wise like at least three times that I can think of, just because the job was more interesting. Actually, GitHub was one of those ones. I was like, you know what? Um, now that ended up being very lucrative in the long run because we got acquired by Microsoft. Total accident. But literally at that moment in life, when you and I have both quit that uh, the previous consultancy and sold our shares, um, and we were like, you know, figuring out what to do with life, I took, as you know, I took, I mean, two and a half months to sort of just like figure things out in life and like, what do I really want to do? And it was like, well, it's either I want to do my own thing, which, you know, I'm doing now, or uh, I want to work at GitHub. Because I always loved GitHub, longtime user. I loved their culture, just everything about it. That the product, everything was great. Like the people, the product, and uh, you know, it took a, I took a salary uh, hit to go there. And you know, luckily, like I said, it just happened to work out long term, where that didn't end up being the case. But at the time, yeah, I was like, well, I don't care. I just want to work here, and I think that's okay. I think it's like, anyways, I, you know, all I'm saying is like just. You know, find something you love and try to go after it. And if you can make enough money to like support yourself and uh, if you have a family, support them. Like, man, just do what you love. Yeah. yeah. What else is there? Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. Well, so. that's just it, right? Like, you know, I, I feel like, and um, Charles did have a good point about. Um, and, know, and by the way, the article it, said that at the end. We should does, give credit to the author. They did say yeah. that at the end. So, yeah. Um, the, you know, Charles did you know, he had a point in Slack, right? Like um, best thing you can do is pick something and go with it. Trying to hop all over the place will burn you out, right? Um, and, I, and I think we've both experienced that as well as, you know, sticking with a, you know, a specific technology, a specific, right? Like interest and then becoming the expert there rather than trying to be the expert across the board on all, all the different things, right? Um, pays off. Um, you know, digging in is, yeah. Um, cool. Uh, well, I think that that probably, yeah. Oh, that's a neat graphic. And, oh, oh that, um, Ahmad, which Ahmad uh, shared in general. That's a cool graphic. Um, I don't know how to say it. I, ikigai, uh, it's a Japanese concept for 
making a re a, a Japanese concept meaning a reason for being. And it kind of is a Venn diagram between uh, love, um, good at, needs, paid for, and then it gets into, you know, passion, mission, vocation, profession. And when those all mm -hmm. converge, it's a reason for me. So, yeah, I think honestly, the funny thing in life is when I look back, anything that's ever happened that turned out to be really positive was usually the moments where I was like, fuck it, this seems cool. Honestly, that's the weirdest thing to say, but it is true. Like I look back at anything that ever like really, I mean, hard work, of course, but you know, that's just a consistent thing to do every day um, or work ethic, whatever consistency, but yeah, I think, yeah. If it's a pretty good strategy in some cases for me anyways, <laughs> Um, but yeah, okay. So what do we have up next? This is so serious of a conversation. We got to like cleanse, yeah, palate cleanse. Palate really cleanse. like, yeah, we need something <laughs> silly <laughs> or something. I don't know. Something silly. You want to talk about the NSA that, buying up uh, browsing records or? I kind of do. Like, what the hell is that about, man? I mean, it was, it's a real pivot from this conversation, but yeah. Uh, let me see. What is that okay. about? Uh, as if I uh, had. If, as if I needed less or more reasons to distrust any government, but our own government, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, by the way, just so you guys know, uh, cause Seth, you don't live here and most of our viewers don't live here and where I'm living at now, it's pretty wild. Like in my County alone, they've approved over the next, I think it's like four years for 33 data centers to be installed. A lot oh, of these are, yeah. yeah. And there's, they're, they're on track for, I think, 70 in the next 20 years, they said, or 74 or something like that. Um, and then that's not even, that's my county. That's not including where, you know, the the, the quote of like, I don't know, something like 70% or 90% of the internet traffic in the world goes through uh, Northern Virginia. Well, what they're referring to is Ashburn or slash Leesburg. That's where a lot of data centers were already were. It's where uh i don't know aol slash verizon slash yahoo slash whatever the hell they are now sorry sean i can't even keep track uh they had a campus out there they closed it down but uh why i'm saying this is like a lot of those data centers are um as you can imagine not for like xbox streaming services right they're <laughs> they're for some spookier shit than that and anyways it just it's like all very tinfoil hatty on my side of the world right now uh it's very weird so so, um, so, so ken are you yeah. are you putting a faraday cage into your house now is that like the dude I'm, I'm, like, I'm close <laughs> they keep i'm close you know me and my 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 like i'm not a conspiracy theorist but i get it just a big old uh, metal fence that goes up and surrounds the whole house <laughs> yeah dude exactly yeah it um it's wild, but um, in any case, do you want to cover the, the summary of the article or um, should I or yeah, whatever you want to do there? Yeah. Uh, so basically, I, I mean, so speaking to those data centers, right? Like, I mean, we, we've always known that, you know, government agencies, you know, um, follow internet traffic, right? Like they're looking at it, um, they're analyzing it. Um, I mean, you know, you know, we're out, I'm out here in Utah, like there is, there's a data center that's down, you know, that, you know, everyone suspect is being like an NSA or something like that data center, because it went in like during one of the programs that they were building out when they were wanted to do more monitoring. Um, but same sort of thing, we've done this for a while, but it came out recently 
that the NSA is actually going to the various um, ISPs and actually purchasing browsing data, right? So you think of your, you know, Comcast, your Verizons, your, you know, large internet providers, and instead of, you know, installing a device or whatever it is, they're working directly with the providers to just get a dump of the, you know, the commercially available NetFlow data, right? Just like any other provider would, right? Or any other, anybody else that wants to do internet research can go to these companies and get browsing data. Most of the time it, you know, it will be at least like semi-anonymized or that is the claim, but usually you can, you know, you can flip that back to, hey, I know where this person is coming from, like where they were attached, yada, 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 right? Like where they're, what their browsing habits actually are and pinpoint people pretty easily, right? Um, and then it can even look at things like, you know, through VPNs and other places, which makes you, you know, wonder how else or what else they're tying that to, right? Um, and I think that's where we get tinfoil hattie is they already, we know that they're already tracing, you know, network data across the board. So at this point they have like another avenue of visibility into what's actually going on because, you know, you do have places and ISPs that will break that, you know, that encryption chain, they'll do other things that um, allow the, ISP visibility into what the user is doing as well. So it's just like this, you know, this mountain of, okay, how deep does this actually go? What's being, what is it being used for? Um, yeah. Yes. What is it being used for? I mean, they're like, well, these are, these are things that other, you know, that other, other, uh, foreign uh, countries and companies can purchase. That's their like defense and that there's no law against it yet. I want to be clear. They keep throwing that caveat in yet. Uh, but bro, it just, it's like, I don't know, man. It's just, it feels like more weaponizing of government agencies against its own people. But again, maybe I'm just like a nut job conspiracy theorist or whatever, but it just doesn't, it doesn't feel good at all. I don't, I don't know what else to say here. It just does not, don't love it. Um, did, did the, yeah, this is interesting. They, uh, they. So I didn't know this. FTC had banned X mode earlier this month for sharing the location of uh, Muslim prayer app users with military contractors. Um, ah, you know, it's always that, especially because like it's it's. I'm the weird thing with me is because I am ex military. I'm always like conflicted between the need to protect with the need to protect. Also, you know, uh, just mm-hmm. in a different way. Um, this one's a uh, this one's a weird one though. Just to now now here here here's my thoughts like because like this data it's tied to the the unique the unique online ID that all of us have right for browsing stats I would assume but that data is easily linkable back to a person they've shown they've shown that that's that's totally possible and if you're the NSA it's a hundred percent possible so really I mean this feels like you could actually pinpoint an actual individuals like i could find out everything i want about your i don't know your browse like you know everything from your physical and mental health kind of google questions to what things you're into online to uh your purchase history to everything that's what i think just feels so 
freaking awful and terrible about that. Then, then again, I also, at the same time, I'll say this, I also, I also, and this is sad to say, I also kind of always assume that there's some level of, you know, no privacy anyways, to, to some degree. Um, no, I mean, we, I, I don't know, like growing or up diminishing, the, I shouldn't say no, but diminishing privacy over time privacy. and some level of comfortability with younger generations uh, with that mm-hmm. aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've been, I mean, you know, it's like they've been, or over time we've been trained to actually put that stuff online. Right. Like that was always, you know, whether it was any of the social media networks that we, you know, we post locations, we post pictures that have location data in it. Uh, like that's all traceable um, on top of, right. Like where we're browsing, where we're shopping, we want, you know, Amazon to be able to tell us like other things that we might be interested in, or Google, right. Like from a shopping perspective. So the cookies track things across the board, right. Like it, it you know, it's very easy to get tinfoil hattie, but it, it also provides us with incredible value. Um, like we feed that into an AI, right? And the AI could actually like make some make make some pretty significant leaps about who you are, what you are interested in, um, and that's probably what's going on, right? Like, I mean, I know that was tongue in cheek that you know Juan dropped it in there about um, you know open AI data centers, but at some point NSA or whoever else may actually get involved with that. So. Yeah, yeah. May. Yeah, probably. Yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, uh, it's, it's a it's scary new world there for, uh, for Seth. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Hey, I, I wanted I, to say, by the way, I've been kind of, it's hard. Cause like, I don't know why on the Twitter client app, um, this is totally off topic. Um, but it reminded me, I don't know what you said that, that triggered Kaido in my head, but, um, because oh, it's totally yeah. off topic, but I, I something maybe it was, anyways. I, I saw a few mentions. The, the most recent one was uh, Douglas Day um, giving Kaido some props and really enjoying it. Uh, Douglas Day is just like a good bug bounty um, researcher. Uh, worked with him um, at GitHub. Well, he was a researcher for GitHub. Um, in any case, or on the program. Uh, yeah, so it seems like I've seen a couple tweets where people seem to to like it. Um, so I don't know. That's just such non-scientific data. But uh, since we had talked about it last time, I meant to me- make a mention before I forgot uh, on this one that, yeah, there's been some positive feedback. I haven't really seen much negative. So that's that's positive. That's good. It's cool. Working yeah, out sh- so far. Yeah, and I didn't buy it yeah. yet. I will because it's like, I think, 10 bucks a month or something totally doable yeah so i am gonna try it and i'll let you know what i find yeah it should it should be interesting i know i mean i know we did or i did demo it it was probably six months ago or so maybe even longer than that at this point right like it was early days and it, it is still considered to be in beta um i you know i'm interested to see how it'll perform right like we've you know it seems like in some of the slack channels that we have you know again we're like switching topics quickly but um, and some of the Slack channels that we're in, there's always this constant talk about we need a better proxy, right? Like, or, oh, we should go build a proxy. And, uh, you know, um, it takes a, a, quite a bit of effort to get up to the level of what PortSwigger and Burp Suite actually is, or even Zap, right? Like, it's not an easy 
um, transition. Yes, there's the, the proxy functionality, but as soon as you start talking about the scanning functionality, the repeater, all of the, the modules or the extensions and everything else that feeds into that, of course, they don't want to reinvent the wheel, right? Like Burp Suite does not want to go back to ground one, right? Or Port Suite or, or ground zero, whatever, right? Like go back to the very beginning to start over and to architect, you know, what they currently have and what currently works. It's, you know, from a business perspective that may or may not make sense, which I totally get, but it'll be interesting to see where Kaido goes um, and if it's able to actually crack in because it does look, you know, it looks pretty slick. Speaking of tools, did you want to talk about this one? Because I have not, this is the one article you sent over where I, because actually I was reading Eric's, uh, Eric uh, include uh, securities, uh, LM security one. That was the last article I got to. So I didn't get to this link that you had sent over to me, whatever. I actually, I don't even know what secure code box IO is, uh, but I'm pulling it up now. Uh-huh. Go take a look. Um, I, it's a, you know, it's interesting. It's, it is an OWASP project now, right? Um, and, but I'm not actually, like, I have not played with it yet. I found this, you know, I, um, what, it was just recently that it popped up in my, in one of my feeds, right? Um, mm -hmm. But it's, the idea is it's making it easy to insert security scanning into your CICD pipeline. Right, so uh, it's using Kubernetes, YAML files. It'll spin up, uh, you know, uh, you know, a scanning engine on one of the, the Kubernetes, you know, or in the Kubernetes yeah. cluster. Dude, do a scan, you know what's so weird? Get your results back out. That you, yeah, that you said that was because when I said ooh, I was like, oh, they've got in my head. I was like, oh, they've got Kubernetes security scanning. It's funny that you said you you went right to that because that was the same thing. They've got a ton of things out here, and the first thing that caught my eye was like, ooh, Kubernetes. Uh, just because, like, yeah. that's something I've heard people um, ask us about is, like, do we have support for that? Anyways, looks cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, some of it is interesting, right? Like, definitely, right? Like, you know, an easy way to, you know, spin up, like, nuclei testing, right? That's been a big thing that we've talked about recently, um, being yeah. able to do, like, nuclei testing, take screenshots of a website. Um, you know, some of the tools are a little older that it's actually supporting in there, whether it's AMAS or, you know, Nmap or whatever else. I mean, but, you know, WP scan or Zap, depending on what it is that you're trying to push into your pipeline, it's an interesting use case, right? Is, okay, instead of me having to go in, figure out how to automate installation of, you know, get leaks, whatever it is, into my CACD pipeline, whether that's Jenkins or, uh, you know, actions and github and then actually give me some results out of that and then figure out where to put this it's all just trying to streamline streamline that process right um which is a, a yeah. super useful thing right um yeah well you, you know, know I, my take, push. what my take is that you should take in as many data points as you can since it's not enough to just like rely on just like a, I mean, that's what our whole thing is about at dry run, right? It's like the, the, the CSA slide methodology. It's, it's taking in a bunch of different types of considerations rather than just uh, the output of like a SAS, just one SAS tool or, you know, just a dependabot or something. I think it's like important. And, and this is what we talked about with monocle uh, or sorry, with the chime folks uh, when we talked about monocle, um, 
I know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the two other companies that are doing this, because I don't know if I said to talk about it publicly. But after that Chime uh, interview, I got reached out to by a couple of folks who were like, yeah, we're also doing that. Um, and mm -hmm. I was like, well, do you want to come talk about it? And they're like, well, give us some time. So um, it's this new thing of like, you know, taking in a bunch of different risk factors uh, for like a, but most of those are focused on the repo, right? Which I like is like, it gives a repo health. I wonder if this thing gives a badge like those things do, where it's like, here's your sort of health of the the service or the repo. That'd be pretty decent. But in any case, having all these different types of tooling at your disposal, I guess the question will be like, how easy is it to set up and whatnot? Because obviously if you want uh, dev teams to use it and to get some benefit out of it, um, because that's the one thing with security tools. It's always a little bit of a, a, a difficult thing to manage, um, especially if you're handing it over just to developers is, you know, the configure, yeah. the configuration aspect. Well, and I mean, honestly, this was a discussion actually recently at like our local OWASP meetup here, right? Like at Wasatch AppSec, because we were talking about self-service, right? Like developer self-service of security tools. Um, because most most people that are in that come to those meetups, they're like ProdSec or AppSec for an organization. There may be one of two guys, or they may be the only guy that's either in security or doing that, and they've got you know 100 developers or whatever to support. Hey, you've got a static analysis tool. How do you turn that over to them and actually get results back out of it? Right, um, and make it effective is the problem. Right, it's very easy for developers to take those tools like this one, run, and then be like, and to discount the results because number one, they you know one they may not be able to do anything with it. Um, two, it may not necessarily touch their code specifically. Three, it may have too many false positives. Right, there's like like so many like barriers to entry to using some of these tools that that you know that's that might be what you start to run in with into here now right like if you're running something like SimGrep, you're probably better off than if you were running you know find security bugs or something else like an older you know static analysis tool underneath the hood with uh, you know with uh secure code box specifically but you've got to think through what that's actually going to be, where those results end up, and whether or not they go all the way back to the develop to the developer when it comes down to it. Yeah, and like that's one thing I do like about um, there's like three comp. Uh, actually, one of them's uh, one of them's uh, Ahmed uh, Ahmad. Sorry, um, in our uh, Slack, who was asking questions about, and I'm gonna probably butcher the name but um so there's pixie there's mob ai and then Ahmad's company uh corgia what is so hopefully i say that right corgia um yes yeah, or Cor corgia uh where they're they're taking a different approach where like and it's just for static analysis of code right it's uh providing so like if they think they find something they'll give you a, a suggested fix kind of thing. I don't, I don't know about Corgia's exact, but that's probably the, the way they're doing it because that's how Pixie and Mob's doing it. Give you like a suggested fix on a commit. And then um, and then, uh, what's nice about that, I guess, is that even if a developer chooses to not take the suggestion, at least they have an insight into like how they could. It's the same thing we've talked about when we give reports to people and we put um, 
we try to give you know as specific code fixes to their code base as possible rather than generic advice and then that tends to lead to things getting fixed quicker because like at least you now have an, it may not be they're definitely not going to take our code and run with it but they'll they'll at least uh you know be able to implement it um they have that under they have an idea of what we're, what we're going for there and they can implement it in the way they they, they choose so that's probably the best approach that I've seen because uh, it is very difficult for, uh, you know, we it's just time old tale of handing results over to a developer and expecting some kind of wonderful outcome. It's like, nah, it yeah. doesn't usually um, work out great. It's, it, not as a human being, because we can give like, here's reproduction steps, here's likelihood, here, here's, you know, I can chat with you about it, but it's like more of an automated tool from, a, from an automated tool perspective. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, and that's always been the goal from an AppSec ProdSec perspective is how do we automate, you know, like the person, right? And, and I know you guys are, you know, moving into this space with dry run and using AI for some of the pull requests and how, how things are happening. But that's always, that's always kind of, that's always been the goal is how do we, we take what you and I know and what we've experienced and actually codify that and automate it so that it's available to more people, right? Um, so we enhance sure, the advice. What's wrong? Sorry, I thought, my bad, I was not muted. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I saw Sneak is going for IPO from uh, Juan and I was like, uh, Huh? I didn't know that. <laughs> Sorry, very visceral, like, huh? <laughs> what the shit? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Sorry, I didn't mean to distract. I, I myself got distracted. That's what happens when I read no Slack comments. Yeah, no worries, right? Like, yeah, the fact that we have 420 people in Slack now, right? Like, that was the other yeah comment that was going around <laughs> today. Um, it is. <laughs> sweet. Uh, let's see. Yeah. I don't even know anymore, man. Like, yeah, give yeah, developers the access, right? Yeah, give right. them the tools, let them figure it out. Like most of them are pretty smart, right? But then just be the, you know, the the resource that they need as they move through it. Um, cool. Uh, let's see. I don't, yeah, we're about at time today, Ken. Um, I don't know if there's Maybe any just other make a articles mention of it. I do because the LLM security against prompt injection is cool. Because like right now, um, I'm trying to figure out the best ways to secure our own. You know, I'll just be very, again, transparent, maybe to my own fault. But I'm trying to also like um, put a bunch of controls into place to prevent not just prompt injection, which is what this is about. Here, I'll just put the art. Oh, you already put it in. I Thank just you. did. Yep. Um, yep. I'll drop it in there. Cool. Um, and Juan dropped an article about the... Sneak, sneak IPO. IPO bit too. So if you're in our absolute apps like, or if you aren't, you should go on there. And there's like a lot of, actually for anybody that's listening and you haven't go on, gone on our Slack, you really should. There's a lot, a lot of smart people, smarter than us in there who uh, share a lot of, uh, you know, useful things or give their advice when you ask a question. So uh great group of folks. If you, if you haven't joined that Slack in any case. Uh, so this is really cool. Uh, include security put out, you know, sort of a, uh, uh, a guide to pre preventing and, and, you know, basically how the offensive side of it with some perfect, uh, some guidelines and some prevention techniques. Um, I got into halfway into this article, so I wasn't able to get all the way through. Uh, I will say, it, you know, it, it makes sense because one of my biggest issues is that the way prompts work, like um, it doesn't matter if you're what, like, I don't think it matters anyways, what tool chain you're using. I mean, you can do, you can do raw um, 
you can do raw strings uh, where you formulate, you know, the different prompts. If you're not familiar with AI stuff, you have a system prompt. You usually have a, a AI prompt, uh, a user input prompt, or um, it goes by different names. So the most common one I see is uh, uh, system message uh, or system prompt, user prompt, and those come together and they're essentially interpolated into a giant string that's sent off as a prompt to an LLM. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we know what happens when you interpolate or concatenate string values. Yep. So it very much falls in line with what we're what we're used to seeing in security. All the various stuff that we've dealt with in AppSec, it's all 100%, just like it was in Web3 last year. It's here, too, with AI and LLM stuff. It's very obvious as you're writing it. scary as shit. I mean, I was just talking about this on Twitter. Like, one of the, one of the things that makes me the most nervous, because, like, uh, Robert, who I used to work with, uh, he was on the red – he is on the red team at GitHub. Um I put out on Twitter, like, man, it's very, very scary, like how comfortable all these libraries are with including a million other libraries that all seem to download files at invocation. So what I mean by that is the first time the program runs, a lot of these download various files to include like model files. A lot of that's for doing like embeddings, right? So you can embed in vector format uh, into a DB, a specific floating point integer vector format, and then retrieving that back out to write it and then appended on as context in the form of a string document onto as context into your prompt, which by the way, is another place that you're injecting some data that's coming from a secondary location, right? Um, those those files to, to do those embeddings, you have to download those model files so you know exactly how to create um, or what format to store that, to, to generate that data into and store it, right? And then read it back out. But it's just nuts because every time you you go to invoke like on that first thing, but I say that first run, that first run on like a Lambda on like a serverless type thing, that's every time, every time you're downloading. Yep. I mean, obviously you can cache, obviously you can get around these things, but what bothers me is the comfortability of just having a million dependencies that you don't, like to give you perspective, I included a few libraries and immediately it jumped up to a six gig Docker uh, file what yeah. the shit like that's not okay um and i just it's all these little anyways he had asked me he's like are you, are you concerned just from like the the like on twitter like the uh the as like the aspect of downtime or you know because that's true like if those files aren't there that server has issues now you're now you're down and um like yeah no you can get around that with caching and you can get around most of the caching it's the level of comfortability these ecosystems have with just including all these things. And then why I say that too, is that if you go to these popular projects, because they're usually trying to either get funded or they're just trying to be the best product on the market, they're just including these PRs at like a breakneck speed. They just, I mean, it is like you, I don't know how much review these are actually getting to be, to be quite honest. So all of this just, I see it. And then, you know, with hugging face, the LLMs that could have been, um, tweaked and re-uploaded uh, because they found like 1500 valid keys just stored all over the internet and mostly on like places like GitHub uh, for authors that are uploading LLMs. Just all this kind of stuff, man. And then this injection being kind of built into the way it all works. It just, it's scary. Like I, I love AI stuff. I think it's very useful tool, but it's very early days. It's very greenfield. A lot of people are struggling with just even figuring out. It's obvious from what you see on, on the internet. A lot of people are just struggling with basic 
parts of integrating into these systems, let alone thinking at a higher level, like I kind of have to, and like include security and a lot of other folks on our community are, it's like thinking about how to secure that. That's not even, dude, just figuring out how to make this stuff better and work right and give, you know, observability and all that kind of stuff. That's top of mind right now. Forget security. So you're seeing all like the morning signs for just it being a really, really <laughs> scary place. So, but anyways, I, yeah. I, I encourage everybody to read this article. Yep. Yep. Go, go check it out. Cause there's definitely, there's stuff to learn in there. And we're like, we're getting asked more and more about prompt injection and like how to actually do this. This is a good primer on how to get started with it. Like what's actually going on underneath the hood. Um, kudos to Eric and his team for releasing it. I mean, it wasn't Eric specifically. It was one of his, one of his guys, right? Like uh, one of his team. They list all the people Abraham. at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, Abraham King, one of his managing consultants that actually released it. So, you know, great resource. Go give it a read. Um, and then maybe at some point we can get Abraham or Eric or somebody on to, to actually talk more through it because it could, you know, it'd be an interesting discussion. Sweet. Well, thanks everybody for joining today. I know we've covered quite a bit. Um, I know we, you know, uh, dove into a, a lot of like disparate topics today. Uh, that's how it goes sometimes. Uh, but, Join Slack. Uh, let us know if you're going to be watch our watch this space for the announcement for CactusCon. If you're going to be there, come say hi or let us know. Watch for the sign up. And yeah, I think that's everything for now, Ken. Unless you got something else. Nope. Uh, thank you all. All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>